Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 20.1 Worthy of the King of the Gods You can't believe you've finally made it. To compete in the Olympic Games at Olympia. It's something you've trained the last 12 years for. The year is 428 BC. You've journeyed from Athens, where you live, to Olympia, home of the Olympic Games. This is the first Olympic Games that you will compete in. You knew that there were going to be a lot of people there, but what you didn't think was that there were going to be this many people. The closer and closer you get to Olympia, the more and more people you see. Every town, road, and boat that you pass by is filled to the brim, and you can only imagine that there are going to be more people showing up in the next few days. Olympia is a fairly far journey from Athens, and it takes you about a week to get there. You decided to make the journey by land, as you thought it would be quicker than going around the Peloponnese by sea. Also, you thought it'd be cheaper. However, when you arrive in Olympia, you spot some friends and other athletes who will be competing in the games already there. They took the sea. I should have gone by sea like them, you think to yourself. The ship couldn't have been nearly as crowded as the roads and inns have been on your journey here. You ask some of the fellow athletes about their journey, and they immediately begin complaining about the number of people on their ships. We should have gone over the land with you, they tell you. Maybe then we would have had a more peaceful journey. Unlikely, you think to yourself. But all this does is reaffirm how many people were traveling to Olympia for these games. You knew the games were an important time for you and your fellow Greeks. It was just as much a celebration of the gods as it was about human athleticism or talent. In fact, that was why you were having the games was to entertain the gods. But something was different this time around. It seemed that the entire country of Greece had shown up here in Western Greece. Fortunately, you are an athlete, so you get to stay in separate quarters from everyone else and don't have to try and find room and board. You also don't have to worry about your food. In your first day of training at Olympia, you find one of the game organizers and you ask him, why were there so many people at these Olympic Games? Or was this normal? A small chuckle escapes and he says no. This is anything but normal. But it's to be expected. And it's because these are the first games with the temple completed and dedicated. Temple? What temple, you ask? He smiles and says you'll see. All the athletes are going to the temple on the day before the games to pay tribute to Zeus. Great, another temple to Zeus, you think to yourself. As if there weren't enough already throughout Greece. But you had never visited a temple to Zeus this close to Olympia, his home. So you figured this one had to be somewhat special or maybe even different. But nothing you could have imagined would have come close to what you would see. Finally, 
the day before the games was finally here. And the game organizers got all the athletes together and told them to follow them up to the Temple of Zeus to worship before the games. The temple had been reserved for only athletes that day, so feel free to take your time. Take my time, you think to yourself. It's just a temple to Zeus. You'll go in, offer a sacrifice, and then leave. You planned on spending the rest of the day enjoying the countryside and the downtime before the game started tomorrow. You wanted to get yourself mentally prepared. But as you approach the temple, you immediately know that this temple is unlike any of the other temples to Zeus, or any of the other gods or goddesses for that matter. The temple is almost blinding in the Mediterranean sun. It appears to have been made from the purest of marble. It's big, but maybe not as big as you thought it would be. Out front, there's an altar and torches, even though it's broad daylight. The torches seem a little unnecessary, but as you approach the temple, all of the activity seems to be out front rather than inside. This was not too odd. Normally it didn't happen like this, but it wasn't unheard of. This just must be a different way to worship Zeus, since we're so close to his home, you think to yourself, compared to Athens, where everything was indoors. As you walk up the front of the temple, you can see people staring at something inside. They were literally standing still, mouths open, just staring. As you rounded the corner of the temple and looked inside, your face did the same. You just stood there, unable to move. Inside the temple of Zeus stood what had to be the most beautiful statue in the world. It glistened and gleamed in the torchlight and the sunlight coming through the roof and the sides. There was a small pool in front of the statue, and its reflection was almost perfect, as what looked like oil stood perfectly still. The statue was a pure white, with gold ornaments and a gold crown of olive leaves on his head. The statue was enormous. If Zeus stood up, he would have pushed the ceiling and the roof off of the building. Now you know why the athletes were given all day to be at the temple. You could literally stand there all day, staring and worshipping. This, truly, is the home of the king of the gods. What you are staring at is the last of the original seven wonders of the ancient world, and the twentieth wonder on our list, the statue of Zeus at Olympia. Built inside the Temple of Zeus, the statue is quite possibly one of the greatest statues ever created. It shares that top rung of that particular ladder with another wonder we have already looked at, way back in episodes 3.1 and 3.2, the Colossus of Rhodes. While not nearly as big as the Colossus, the statue of Zeus is perhaps even more impressive in how it was built. But as always... Before we get too far into the wonder, some context first. Zeus is the king of the Greek pantheon of gods. He was also the father to a great number of them. Of all of the ancient gods throughout all the religions, the Greek gods were perhaps the most recognizable. 
After the conquest of Alexander and the Hellenization of the known world, the Greek gods would become a familiar part to the entire ancient Near East. But their mythology was similar to that of all the other gods of the ancient Near East, except for the Jews who were monotheists. They had gods for every aspect of life, from war, to crops, to fishing, to fertility, to the mountains, to the moon, and everything in between. These gods had created people to serve their needs. It was the humans' jobs to provide the gods with food, water, shelter, and the other necessities of life. In return, the gods provided protection and blessings for the people. But this relationship was hostile at best, and the gods would frequently fight amongst themselves and play out those fights amongst the people. The most famous example of this is the Battle of Troy and the legendary Trojan Horse. I'm not going to go into hardly any of those details here. That story is beyond famous, and I'm sure you all know it. But that war was fought, at least according to the tales, because some of the Greek goddesses couldn't agree on who was the most beautiful. So they asked the handsomest man on earth, who was a Greek prince, which of them was the most beautiful. They all tried to bribe him with different blessings, but what won the prince over was the promise that the most beautiful woman in the world would fall in love with him. He agreed, and the goddess Aphrodite was named the most beautiful of all the goddesses. And what she said came true. The most beautiful woman in the world fell in love with the Greek prince. The problem was, she was already married to the king of Troy. I don't have to tell you what happens next. But this is how the Greeks and the rest of the majority of the ancient peoples viewed their gods. That they were an integral part of daily life, and everything that happened was a direct result of the gods' involvement. As such, all throughout the ancient world and beyond, people have been building elaborate places of worship for their gods. From Buddhist and Hindu temples in Asia, to the temples of Teotihuacan in Mexico, to the Temple of Solomon, to Jehovah in Jerusalem, elaborate places of worship were viewed as an essential part of worshipping the gods. The gods had to have a home here on earth, a place where they would live and be closest to the peoples. Other than these temples, mountains were often viewed as the home of the gods. Somewhere up there above the clouds, the gods resided. For the Greek gods and for Zeus, their home was a mountain in western Greece known as Mount Olympia. This home of the gods is why the games were called the Olympic Games. And as the Olympic Games picked up traction throughout mainland Greece and their location close to Mount Olympia, the area around the mountain proved a prime spot for the grandest of temples to the king of the gods. And that is exactly what was commissioned. The Temple of Zeus was commissioned by the Elis people. The Elis people were a group of people who lived on the western edge of the Peloponnese, the southern part of mainland Greece. With Mount Olympus being within its borders, they were in charge of hosting, organizing, and running the Olympic Games. As such, they commissioned a new temple and statue to Zeus to be worshipped before, during, and after the Olympic Games. 
and no one else would do for the design of the statue than the very best that ancient Greece had to offer. And for that, they turned to the greatest Greek architect, a man named Phidias. Phidias was a Greek sculptor who had recently overseen the other magnificent Greek structure, and an honorable mention for this show, the Parthenon of the Acropolis overlooking Athens. While the Parthenon remains there to this day, what really attracted the Ellis people to him was his statue of Athena which stood in the Parthenon. It was one of the greatest statues in the world which has been lost to history. In fact, both the statue of Zeus and the statue of Athena were built the exact same way. They are what are known as chryselephantines. This means they were made out of gold and ivory. But before we talk about the statue of Zeus, let's first lay out the Temple of Zeus. The temple wasn't anything too crazy, as it is the statue of Zeus, not the temple, which was a wonder of the ancient world. But the temple was impressive too. The Temple of Zeus was a typical construction in that area, known as a Doric temple, which was a 6 by 13 column temple. The two long sides of the temple had 13 columns, and the two short sides had 6. I have a picture of what this temple would have looked like up on the website, 21wonderspodcast.com, but it looks like how it sounds it would have. The temple construction began in 470 BC, and was completed about 14 years later. The Temple of Zeus was designed by a man named Libon of Elis. His design was the biggest temple in mainland Greece at the time of its completed construction. The temple measured over 20 meters, or 65 and a half feet in height, and was 64 by 28 meters, or 210 by 91 feet along its side with the columns, measuring 10 and a half meters, or 34 and a half feet in height, and about two and a half meters, or seven feet in diameter at their bases. While this was a large temple, it was not only its size that made it impressive. The pediments of the temple displayed magnificent scenes. The pediments were the triangular space between the roof and the ceiling of the building. The Greeks often filled this space with magnificent carvings. And the Temple of Zeus was no different. The eastern pediment depicted a mythical chariot race between Pelops and Onimaos, and the western pediment was a battle scene with centaurs with the majestic central figure of Apollo. This western pediment, along with other decorative works from the Temple of Zeus, survive in museums to this day. The main detail of the Temple of Zeus, though, was to obviously call attention to the statue of the god housed within. To do this, Libon of Elis did several different things with the Temple of Zeus compared to normal temples. First off, he made it as bright as possible. While most famous ancient Greek structures were made from marble, the Temple of Zeus was actually made from regular limestone, with only the roof being made of marble. The columns were limestone. To give them the appearance of marble, every column was covered in a white plaster. This made the entire temple glisten in the Mediterranean sun. 
This way, the tempo wouldn't necessarily have to be polished. If it would start going dull, just add a new layer of plaster. The temple was also more of an open concept compared to regular temples, allowing plenty of natural sunlight to illuminate the statue within. The only other thing that was actually inside the temple other than the statue itself was a shallow pool filled with pure olive oil, and it stood right in front of the statue. This and all the light allowed for a magnificent reflection to spread throughout the entire building, almost giving the statue of Zeus a glowing or divine presence, which kind of was the general idea. The presence of the olive oil helped keep the statue hydrated, thus keeping it stronger and not having it dry out. Because also unlike the Colossus of Rhodes, which was made from stone, iron, and bronze, the statue of Zeus was made from much more sensitive materials. But it really was the statue of Zeus that was the impressive feat here. The statue of Zeus really is the pinnacle of Greek architecture, combining science and thinking with mythology and magnificence. The statue of Zeus was a statue of the gods seated on a throne, holding a scepter with an eagle in one hand, and a depiction of Nike, the Greek goddess of victory, in the other. We will start at the bottom of the statue and work our way up. The throne itself was made of pure black Elysian marble, which measured about 10 meters by 6 meters, or 33 feet by 21 feet along its sides. The throne was elaborately decorated with ivory, gems, ebony, gold, and glass, and had some magnificent artwork of its own. All of these different artwork were stories or legends from Greek mythology. The base of the throne showed scenes of the birth of Aphrodite, daughter of Zeus, and the Greek goddess of love and fertility. The sides of the throne had many different friezes and scenes of their own. There were graces, the seasons, various Nikes, sphinxes, Amazons, and the children of Niobe. The scenes between the legs of the throne were painted by Phidias' brother, Panaeus, and depicted many other scenes from Greek mythology. The god rested his feet upon a footstool which was decorated with a battle scene involving Theasus fighting the Amazons. Now I won't go into each of these names and what they mean in Greek mythology. Just know that each one was intricately carved and created, adding to the allure of the statue. Upon this throne, Phidias erected a wooden core rather than the iron one used in the Colossus. It was to this core that he attached the pieces which made up the statue. Now this is where the science part comes in. As we mentioned earlier, the statue of Zeus and the statue of Athena in the Parthenon were what are called chryselephantines, or statues made from gold and ivory. Now I am certain that all of you listening to this have seen an elephant tusk before. And while they are very impressive, they are not very large. So constructing a statue entirely out of ivory would seem almost impossible. But the Greeks developed a way to soften the ivory and make it pliable. They would dip ivory tusks in vinegar for an extended period of time. We don't know how long exactly. 
and then they'd be able to unroll them like a scroll and make them more into thin ivory sheets. These sheets could then be pressed into wooden or clay molds, which resembled different parts of the body. These sheets were then hardened back to their original level, only to be in this new shape. This is how Phidias made the entire statue, piece by ivory piece. He still needed a lot of ivory to complete this statue, but this way, the ivory was more workable. Every skin surface of the statue, his face, arms, legs, torso, feet, and hands were made from these ivory pieces and fastened to the wooden core. Phidias then used thin sheets of pure gold to design Zeus's robe, beard, and staff. He then decorated the statue and filled in the fine details with silver, copper, gems, paint, glass, ebony, and enamel. We're not sure as to the final design or even size of the statue of Zeus, but there have been many educated guesses throughout the years. I have some pictures of these different interpretations of the completed statue up on the website. But the most complete description we get of the statue of Zeus comes to us from a 2nd century AD Greek traveler and geographer named Pausanias. His description seems to be an eyewitness account, as the statue of Zeus was still standing at the time of his writing. He writes, quote, The god sits on a throne, and he is made of gold and ivory. On his head lies a garland which is a copy of olive shoots. In his right hand he carries a victory, Nike, which, like the statue, is of ivory and gold. She wears a ribbon and... On her head, a garland. In the left hand of the god is a scepter, ornamented with every kind of metal, and the bird sitting on the scepter is an eagle. The sandals also of the god are gold, as is likewise his robe. On the robe are embroidered figures of animals and the flowers of the lily. The throne is adorned with gold and jewels, to say nothing of ebony and ivory. Upon it are painted figures and wrought images." End quote. The completed statue is estimated to be over 12 meters or 40 feet high, seated. Like, that is the height of the seated statue. If Zeus were to stand, he probably would have been somewhere around 50 to 60 feet tall. This statue was the biggest statue in Greece, and certainly one of the most unique in the ancient world. The fact that it was made from ivory only added to its uniqueness as a wonder. Nowhere else in the world, except for Athens, was a statue like this, but even that one wasn't as big. While there were certainly other statues made from precious materials like gold, silver, bronze, etc., the statue of Zeus is the only one to require more advanced chemistry to construct. You can't heat ivory and beat it into shape like you can with metal. The statue of Zeus is something that has fascinated historians and artists alike for thousands of years. In fact, it is a depiction of the statue of Zeus which serves as a picture for this podcast. But next week, we will look at the history of the statue of Zeus. How long it stood in its place, 
was longer than most of the other wonders of the ancient world. But sadly, it would be left behind in the old world, as the new worlds of Christianity and Islam rampaged their way across the Mediterranean. Yeah.